Welcome to Riff Ram Review, your TCU sports talk home right here on 88.7 KTCU. Here are your hosts, Seth Dowdle, Ian Nepetian, and Zion Trammell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 KTCU, the choice. How's it going, everyone? I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Nepetian and Seth Dowdle on this nice Wednesday evening. Fellas, how are we doing? So far, so good. Happy to be back in the studio for episode eight. It's um, what it's it's been basically two months now that we've uh, been doing the show. So super excited, very happy after a very big TCU football win this weekend. So just happy to talk about something positive this week. Yeah, absolutely, it, it, Seth. It was a really good time. Uh, this a good sports weekend, right? We're in the middle of October, so we got. Uh, Pretty much all the sports firing at once. Basketball is the last one that's going to be starting up here pretty soon. And then uh, we're going to have our plates full for one or two episodes where uh, there's going to be more stuff to talk about than time. So uh, kind of relish the, relishing these opportunities where we can really get in the nitty-gritty of some of these types of things. Yeah, and we'll keep up with my NHL fandom with the <laughs> Dallas Stars as this is my first year watching hockey. Uh, but yeah, thank you all for tuning in, whether that's live on 88.7 The Choice or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Review. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about TCU and their win over BYU. We'll be talking about college football as well as some baseball talk while the Texas Rangers game is going on tonight. First pitch is at 7.03, and then we'll wrap up with some NFL talk. But we'll talk about TCU winning 44-11 to on Saturday, but we just have to apologize first guys because we were all completely wrong about our assessment of tcu football this week yeah let's let's just say mistakes were made uh i i almost want to pull up like you 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 guys know that shack quote where he's like i apologize i was unfamiliar with your game yeah that's that's me right now i don't know how 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 you guys are feeling but we, yeah. fum- we fumbled it away guys we did we, we fumbled did. it away i've decided to play the the good old music that, from our familiar song here because oh, a yeah, blunder a blunder oh, was yeah. made uh, uh s- severe blunders were made we all picked the brigham young university cougars yeah to beat the texas christian university horn frogs <laughs> but and, thank gosh we were and proved wrong we were wrong we were very wrong big time yeah, so I think part of the reason that we picked BYU to win this game is because we were kind of unsure of what we were going to get from Josh Hoover in his first career start. But boy, did he live up to the expect or live up to? I mean, I don't know how much expectations there were, but he definitely surpassed him. That is for sure. He had a monster game. It was the most yards from a TCU quarterback in his first career start since 2011. He went 37 of 58, 439 yards, four touchdowns and two interceptions. And what does that say about Sonny Dykes and Kendall Bryles, their confidence in him to say, hey, First career start, yeah, you're going to throw the ball 58 times. And I know that was based off of scheme. They loaded the box a lot, but that's a lot for your first career start. Yeah, it it, it is. And, and, I mean, I think what was kind of the overarching kind of message from Sonny Dykes and the whole team was that, look, while Josh Hoover was QB2 entering this season up until this point, 
he has been one of the most prepared players. They've said in previous press conferences over and over again that Josh Hoover's always watching film. He's always prepping with the wide receivers, the running backs, the offensive line. And so as much as, you know, for fans like us and, and other TCU fans don't see that, things are still going on behind the scenes that, I mean, Josh Hoover kind of went into that spot and it didn't feel like there was much of a shift. In fact, it felt like he's been there for this entire season and just popped off. And and I mean, all credit to Josh Hoover and Sonny Dykes and, and Kendall Bryles. I mean, to get him ready for this week against BYU and, and you know, credit, I mean, it was against BYU, so not the toughest opponent, but still, you still had to go out there. TCU put up 44 points, which is huge. And I mean, Hoover just looked really comfortable in the pocket something that we haven't really seen much of from Chandler Morris. I was kind of happy to see that he was just calm and pretty steady for for uh, most of the game. The Hoover Dam has been called the greatest <laughs> dam in the world by, by some, including the National Park Service. The reservoir it holds is the largest in the United States. Josh Hoover just gave the greatest quarterback performance <laughs> of this season for TCU. Yeah. So it's safe to say that him and the Hoover Dam have very... A lot of things in common right now. It was great. He's the first quarterback uh, since Casey Bacall to throw four touchdowns in his first start. Uh, that happened in 2011 for, for Bacall uh, against Baylor. So uh, we're kind of seeing a trend of these quarterbacks for TCU. They get thrown into the fire their first time, and they perform really, really well. Uh, Chandler Morris against Baylor two years ago had a her- Herculean effort uh, against against Baylor to, to upset those guys. And, and then you throw in Hoover uh, this past weekend and he gives you a performance that can rival that one I mean it it was just a great really great performance really awesome to see and it really kind of rejuvenates the spirits I think for a lot of fans and the team going forward and what the the prospects of the season hold yeah because we'll talk about that in the next segment but if you were going to make a bowl game if TCU was going to do that it had to start this week against BYU so certainly I think the spirits were lifted at the Carter after that win. I felt pretty happy about it. I mean, you really couldn't have asked for much better performance. But, yeah, Hoover, Josh Hoover, his footwork was really impressive. There was a play where he, there was a lot of traffic, you know, players on the ground. He moved up in the pocket. His footwork was incredible, and he found his receiver down the field. It was a tremendous job for a guy like this making his first career start. So, Overall, pretty pleased with that. And then a big thing, too, is the defense. It feels like they continue to get better and better. Now, last week against Iowa State, I mean, it was more so they're on the field for a long time. But what we saw on Saturday was very impressive, starting off with a pick six from Miller Bradford. Yeah, and, and I mean, that was kind of the tone setter. And, I mean, getting that interception in – that, that moment of the game with, you know, how everyone was feeling, I mean, that was the tone setter for the rest of the game. I mean, BYU came out a little flat to start. And, I mean, TCU's defense, I mean, we got a lot of pressure from our D-line. I thought the linebackers did a good job of kind of just spying and making sure that the quarterback wouldn't get out of the pocket and, and getting to the running backs quickly when they were found in the flat. Then also, I mean, coverage was pretty good all around. And, I mean, that's one thing that TCU has really struggled with. It was earlier this season – coming from behind and and with the defense coming out like that getting that pick six early it it makes it so much easier for your quarterback especially someone like josh hoover who you know who's making his first career start just getting that little cushion early made it that much easier 
I think it's safe to say that this was the first time that TCU played a full, complete game from start to finish, right? You started off with the pick six, and then, yep. you know, it again, it never was in reach for BYU. TCU just dominated the game completely, and that's the kind of performance that you need, especially coming off two very heartbreaking losses uh, to teams that you think that you should be able to beat. And you said it, and we'll talk about it a little bit later and more in depth, but if you didn't win on Saturday, the bowl chances get increasingly more difficult Uh, so this was where it needed to start and it's just a really great way uh, to to celebrate homecoming for instance right I know that's not as you know pomp and circumstances as it used to be where's the parade guys can we get a parade I know I I, I think that would be awesome to have like a little pregame parade for homecoming week you know and things like that right outside the Carter and the commons and stuff I mean that would be pretty sweet we got two streets we can do it on yeah we do yeah exactly we should we should do that uh was there any homecoming king and queen kind of things, or what was what was that at, going on? I wasn't nothing wasn't able really. To see the game that that part of the game. I mean, homecoming king had to be Josh Hoover. Oh yes, Just of had course. To be. They should it give, had to be. They should give the uh, the homecoming king to the winning quarterback every single year. Yeah. It would, so it would be funny if it was like, and Keaton Slovis, you have won the TCU homecoming. <laughs> oh my king. gosh! Yeah. yeah. Well, he helped us uh, <laughs> a plenty in uh, yeah. winning that game for yeah. sure. Yeah. One thing I do want to point out about TCU's performance this weekend, and I, I know you guys know this, but Jalen Robinson being back was huge. He missed two games due to injury, came back. I wasn't sure how much he would be involved in the offense, to be completely honest, but he's our deep shot guy that can really stretch the field. And I felt like that was one of the biggest problems with Chandler Morris and when Jalen Robinson wasn't on the field was that Chandler never really looked down the field, and he didn't really have that touch. But when Robinson came back into in, into the team this this past weekend against BYU it really opened things up I mean when he goes deep you get some underlying space underneath for other guys to show up and I mean I, I know it sounds simple but having that guy that can stretch the field like that helped so much and with Hoover I mean again comfortable in the pocket the O-line I thought played its best game of the season I want to say yeah um, it was either this game or the one against SMU Mm-hmm. that I'd say that the O-line played its best. And I know recently the O-line's had some trouble. They've had some moving parts, some guys, you know, switching positions, especially at that um, at, at the uh, Iowa State game. But, I mean, just what a way to bounce back. Really proud of the team. Now, you know, just got to hope that this continues and, 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 you know, everyone gets a good, good week of practice this week because there's a big game coming up this weekend. Yeah, it is a massive game. And to your point, 13 receivers caught a pass from Josh Hoover. I think we've seen similar to that throughout the season. It just kind of shows the depth at receiving core. J.P. Richardson had a nice game, six catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. I remember when he scored the when he bounced off that tackle. I was like, yeah. how? What? What? Like, how did he just score there? Like, I definitely thought he would just come down pretty get tackled pretty easily and then it was also a big game from Savion Williams who we've talked about him a few times Mm -hmm. I think Savion there were a bit of high expectations when you have to fill the void that Quentin Johnson and Darius Davis and even you know Tay Barber left behind and now Savion Williams he showed flashes (laughs) last year and so he's now the guy and there's times where he's just been a little bit absent, but he had a really nice game on Saturday, and I hope to see that a little bit more moving forward. Yeah, and and to your point, right, I mean, finding 13 different receivers, I mean, it just it tells you that, look, this team is confident in Josh Hoover, right? I mean, to again, to allow Josh Hoover to throw the ball 
what was it, 58 times, yeah, again, right, because BYU was really, you know, up in the box there. It allowed us to pass more. But trusting your quarterback and then having him find 13 different receivers tells you that there is this trust, there is this chemistry between him and his receiving core, which is something that, yes, has been there all year, but you expect to see a significant drop-off when you go to QB2. But, I mean, again, I think I think the whole point of Josh Hoover's, you know, memo is preparation. What One thing that we've heard, you, um, um, Zion and myself, is that this guy prepares. He watches film with everybody. He's always going to be in the film room soaking up any information he can and i mean if this is a sign of things to come it'll it's really positive and just like you said i mean jp richardson i think he eclipsed the century mark for the first time this season this game he had 104 yards then Savion seeing him go for 77 and a touchdown was was great because i mean he's he's been quiet but to get him going right now this is this is the time that we would need some of these guys to kind of catch a hot streak you know yeah it and they also mentioned that like like you said like first in the facility first one out or last one out and and he just i feel like that to me like as a player i feel like you've you saw that from your quarterback seeing how seriously they take this and how much time goes into it that would feel make me feel a little bit better about hey you know what we got this and uh Sonny said, or I think it was Sonny, or might have been Jared Wiley. He said, like, he texted all the wide receivers and the running backs saying, hey, I'm going to be here at 6 a.m. You know, let's work on, you know, so I can really just appreciate how much Josh Hoover is really uh, taking this moment and, and seriously. And we could potentially, when Chandler is healthy, because imagine within a couple few weeks, he might be good to go potentially I, mean, I, I don't know I mean, it'll it be said four to six weeks so it'll be it, it if, if he is it might be the last couple weeks of the season and at that point he's got to win his job back at that yeah, point. yeah if if josh hoover keeps this up you there's really not a possible I, I don't see a possibility where chandler comes back but i don't know what, what, what do you guys think about that yeah i mean I, i'm frankly i'm not concerned about four to six weeks down the line right now i think hoover's gonna take this for the rest of the season mm-hmm. i mean i think that would just be I, I i don't know the word but i think it would just be messed up to hoover yeah and i think we're we can't get too far ahead of ourselves we need to take this week by week yeah we can't be looking down it, the line and sunny was like so i that's where i was confused because sunny was saying week to week and then i hear someone else then they're saying four to six. So Sonny eventually said four to six. But oh, yeah. I, w- I mean, if I'm a TCU fan, I'm not counting on him coming back. Coming I'm back, saying, yeah. hey, Hoover's our guy, and we just need to focus on that for now. I mean, the ball's rolling now at this point. Yeah, and whether it rolls, continues to roll forward, or somehow it gets pushed right back up the hill, and 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 we start going the wrong direction. Uh, you, you kind of got to ride with it at this point yeah. because, like y'all said, uh, we're too late in the season, and the the diagnosis, the the prognosis for how long it's going to be, uh, is kind of more way up in the air and this is kind of a a thing injuries like this to Chandler is something that has been reoccurring throughout his career I mean so it'll be interesting to see but it's it's cool to to see these types of performances Uh, this is a very similar feeling I think a lot of TCU fans had after Chandler Morris had that uh, uh awesome you know game against Baylor but it's a different it's different in the fact of that was coming the game after Gary Patterson's last game as the head coach at TCU interim staff at that point, and it's the end of the season. The season is kind of lost, right? You're giving up on it, throwing it away. Yep. Uh, you're still in the middle of this. Like the season is very much 
still intact. While a Big 12 championship is now longer probably the goal, uh, you could still get to a pretty good bowl game with some pretty good wins down the line. Yep, yep. And and also, given the Big 12 standings right now, I mean, it is it is chaos. It's a mishmash. Should we try in a... Zion, we, were, we had the exercise of... I guess we all tried to do power rankings this morning, and it was a very hard exercise. Yes, it is impossible, because Oklahoma and Texas are the two best teams. That's obvious. But then after that... Ooh, good luck. Good luck. I just, you know, it's it's a it's a dogfight for sure because looking at it at it right now, Oklahoma's the only team that's undefeated in Big 12 and just in general. And then Iowa State is technically in second as far as the Big 12 record goes. Yeah. And then it's just a clump of 1 and 2, 2 and 1, 0 yeah. oh and 3. Yeah. I mean, in those spaces, I'd say around like like 5 through 11 5 through 10 it can be anything yeah. it really could and and also not it, it's not only just you know going to be anything in the power rankings but some of those teams can show up or just come out flat and look horrific on 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 any given saturday yeah we we put so we actually put like tcu kind of in the middle of the pack and i think that's fair to say cuz they're not a top top team right now in the big 12 they could be yeah you never know but they're certainly not towards the bottom yeah exactly exactly one one quick question i'm i'm, I'm curious to, to hear your guys' thoughts on this because i've been thinking about the defense a little bit um what are your thoughts on the linebacker core i know tcu lost johnny hodges we don't still really don't know what that timetable is if he's going to return if he's not you know but you know, for 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 the foreseeable future, it seems like Shadrick Banks is going to have to step in there, and he has. I'm I'm just curious to hear what you guys have to think about TCU and having that depth at that linebacker role, and how how just how you guys feel about it. It's quite important given the defense they run, obviously, right? Uh, they're putting five of them out there at any given time, sometimes. Um, yeah, I I think I'm very confident, and you know what? I, Shad Banks has always been my guy. I'm always a big Shad Banks guy because he seems that it seems like he's always like. I'm not gonna say second fiddle, but he's never like that guy when you think of TCU linebackers that you you know got Jamoy Hodge, Johnny Hodges, all the Hodges, whatever. Yeah. And then lots of Hodge. And and then every single time you know someone gets hurt, and then here come because inevitably injuries happen at sport, and here comes Shad Banks, uh, who the guy who made his name known once again. We're throwing it back to the Baylor TCU yeah. game in 21. Uh, it seems like ever since that moment, he just occasionally just has like, oh, by the way, hey, Shad Banks is a monster. Yeah. yeah, so I, I'm I, I'm pretty confident. Uh, this was just a really good defensive game. It's hard not to be confident in any part of the defense, in my opinion, uh, following this game. Uh, but yeah, I I think I have a, a decent confidence, and I kind of always have yeah. had a decent confidence because, like you said, it's a very deep uh, position group. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's probably arguably the strongest group right now on the team. I mean. Honestly, I mean, because, yeah, Shad Banks really stepped in nicely. And Namdi Obiezor, moving from safety to linebacker, has been a pretty good transition for him. So, uh, you know, of course, we want to get Johnny Hodges. Hopefully he comes back at some point this season. But I've been very pleased with the way the linebackers have played. And like you said, Seth, they're very critical in Joe Gillespie's defense. So um, that will wrap things up here for our TCU talk. Well, at least for BYU. When we come back, we're going to be previewing TCU Kansas State and talk about those the bowl game and if there's a possibility that TCU can get that. You're listening to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice.
Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. Home walk restaurant, need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. Finding best potatoes for french fries. No! Russet, fingerling, Yukon oh, gold. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much, for taking me out to the park, for reading me books, for taking, taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot in ballet rehearsal, for leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and now, now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom, for having the chance to take you to the park, for reading you those books we enjoy so much, for being able to take you to your therapies after you twisted your ankle. For understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. Visit aarp.org caregiving to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved one. Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP, we help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. everybody and welcome back to riff ram review here on 88.7 the choice your choice for college radio my name is ian napetian and tonight i'm joined alongside zion trammell and seth dowdle it's episode eight here we've been here for two months still going strong it's been an awesome ride super super fun doing this with you boys we just got finished though talking about tcu's big 44 to 11 victory over byu and now we've got to pivot looking ahead to this weekend's game the one that Everybody really circled on their calendars as saying, this is when the season starts, right? I think it was, you know, everyone kind of came in with high hopes saying we might be 6-1, and one, maybe even 7-0. and oh. But we're sitting here 4-3, and three, ready to go into Manhattan, Kansas, to face the Kansas State Wildcats, who currently sit in the Big 12. They're, they're tied for third in the Big 12. They're 4-2, and 2-1 two, two and one in the conference. But they are 3-0 and oh at home, and we know... You know, better than anyone, that Manhattan, Kansas is a tough place to get a win. I mean, frankly, Kansas State is kind of in a similar spot to us in that they have, this has been a little disappointing yeah. start. This is not how they thought their defense of their Big 12 title uh, was going to go. Losses to Missouri and then uh, Oklahoma State? No. Yes. Yeah, yeah they also Oklahoma yeah. State. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be cool to see. Manhattan, as you said, is a tough place to play, especially going in at night uh k-state fans and tcu you know kind of a, a, a budding rivalry i feel like the last two games that we played uh there was some there was some discourse on yes. the on the old bird app that i saw a lot uh and, and tcu a bitter taste in their mouth coming off that big 12 championship loss yeah and and just kind of going back to last year right tcu in week eight 
of the season beat k-state here at amogee carter stadium 38 to 28 that was a pretty convincing victory and then the two meet up for another date this time at the big 12 championship at at&t stadium and that was a heartbreaking loss 31 to 28 k-state won the big 12 championship coming down to the wire that was that last drive from max duggan was was one of the most amazing i'm doing this myself drives but it was a tough loss, but again, I mean, this is what makes college football so fun. And I mean, Kansas State and TCU is definitely going to be one of those newer rivalries in, that, that just continues and continues to get even more enticing. Yeah, and it's even traveled across the other sports, too, with baseball and basketball. It's been, it's, TCU and Kansas State is heating up. And actually, a fun fact, I wanted to talk about that Big 12 championship game. That is actually where I met, pretty much met, Seth. We we went Aww. to yeah I know so we had a, a mutual friend he picked us up took it took <laughs> took us to the game and that's pretty much where I met Seth and we met Vince Young that day that was so it was so random um, and we walked back to the car sharing that feeling of absolute sadness because it was a long walk too it by was the way. we parked very far away <laughs> parking yeah. sucked that day we yeah. it was horrible far. we parked at like a hotel. It felt like it was a mile and a half away. It, yeah, it really did. And I think the and I was silent for pretty much the entire walk back. Like I don't think I said a it, word. You know, it stunk even more. We made the dumb decision of going down the this like the slow ramp instead of going down the escalator. So it took oh. us probably like fifteen minutes to get from the upper level where we yeah. were all the way down to uh like the 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 base level to then yeah. go outside and get, it took so long it was it was just a really tough uh that was a tough like half hour from the moment that they get stopped on the goal line to then you know obviously it's like well they're gonna start yeah. in field goal range yep and then they lost and then you know zion and i got introduced to each other in very solemn fashion yeah i was like well it's nice meeting you. Like, oh, Kansas State. Just, oh my God, they should have had that game. Now we're not. Now we don't even know if we're gonna make the playoffs. It's like, oh, this is oh, this is the worst feeling ever. I, mean, I, I yeah. remember on the drive back, we were all like, well, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's good. You know, yeah. we could, we could still do this. Yeah. Convincing ourselves. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, there's no, okay. it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a trophy. No one cares yeah. about it. I think I think the line of uh, well, we beat them a couple weeks ago was uttered probably ten times. Yeah, much. yeah, <laughs> a little too much. And I think. I think last year's loss is going to motivate the players a little bit. Uh, Brandon Coleman said they kind of have used that as a little bit of a fire because they did uh, prevent them from winning a Big 12 championship. So certainly that is on some of the players from last year. It's probably on their minds, and they want to go in there and get a big dub because I need it, they need it. We all we all need a big dub here from TCU. Yeah, and and one thing that's kind of interesting about this game in particular is TCU's gonna have to prep for two quarterbacks, Will Howard and Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson had a massive game last weekend for the Wildcats, five touchdowns in their 38 um, to 21 victory over Texas Tech. Johnson only passed the ball eight eight times. He he had nine attempts, but he went eight for nine for 79 yards. But the 13 rushes for 90 yards and five touchdowns was what's really stood out. I mean, so. Yeah, that is going to be uh, the main focal point for TCU to win this game is being able to not fully stop them, but limit Kansas State and their rushing ability. They ran the ball 47 times uh, in their in last week's game for 288 yards. That's pretty good. That'll That'll get the job done. So. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how do they prepare differently from Avery Johnson, Will Howard. I'm interested to see, but yeah, I think they're probably going to load the box a little bit more, prepare for the run, and and see what see what they can do from there. This has kind of been the pain point, and I feel like we've talked about it multiple times, but last season when multiple quarterbacks were in the cards, Texas Tech, and even in that K-State game when Adrian Martinez gets hurt and then all of a sudden they throw in Will Howard and you haven't been necessarily been as prepared for Will Howard as you would have been for Adrian Martinez, they struggled at first. I mean, Kansas State got out to a 28-7 to lead, or 28-10. to What was the lead? 24. It was a substantial. It was a, it was a substantial lead <laughs> over TCU in that uh, regular season game in Fort Worth last season. TCU obviously able to mount a comeback and win as they did multiple times, but it, that was kind of a pain point. Even Texas Tech had them on the ropes when they were throwing three quarterbacks out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how you know we approach that. We've talked about it multiple times with this kind of multi quarterback. Uh, we talked about West Virginia that ended up not really coming to fruition, even though they lost. But yeah. uh, it's interesting to see how they you know handle it because it is a little bit difficult difficult uh sunny dykes uh said said it quite nicely it prevents a lot of stuff it presents a lot of stuff you got to look at a lot more stuff and uh whatever that stuff is we don't know but you got to go in there with a lot more preparation and maybe even some different um defensive tactics depending on you know who's in obviously because they're two totally different play styles between will howard and avery johnson exactly and and just kind of adding to your point, I mean, last year, and this is about Kansas, but when TCU played Kansas, right, Jalen Daniels was was in until he got injured, and then Jason Bean comes in, and again, it's that two-quarterback system that kind of seemed to always nearly get the better of TCU last year, and again, I mean, Sonny said it in the presser, it prevents a lot, sorry, it presents a lot of complexities, lots of different types of complexities, whether it's in the passing game, and the running game, tendencies from both of the quarterbacks and that affects how some of the linebackers play that because we were talking about how our linebacking core has been great but our linebacking core hasn't been phenomenal against quarterbacks that tend to leave the pocket right our linebackers are a little slow so I'm really curious to see how TCU preps equally or maybe unequally for for either of these quarterbacks Will Howard or Avery Johnson and also I'm I'm curious to see how they make in-game adjustments because I feel like at some point we might see both of them especially if Will Howard is the one that, that that might start. But I think that's what's tough, too, is making those in-game adjustments where, hey, we don't know what's going to be thrown at us at different times. Third downs could be different with both guys. First downs, and I mean, it, it just just like you said, so many, so many more complexities that make it so much more difficult to prep. But, I mean, football is a complicated game, and, I mean, it's, 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 it is not an easy task, task to win a college football game. Yeah, especially on the road. So TCU's got to get off to a quick start. Josh Hoover got to get settled in pretty quickly, man. And I know he did last week, so I hope I expect the same from him. And 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 I'll be curious to see if TCU does trail. How do they respond to adversity? Yeah. Maybe you know coming out of halftime if they're trailing. What do they do in response to that? That's going to be the big part. So I'm excited for this game. It's it's really going to be a lot of fun, and I think TCU's got a lot of confidence. They need, they got a much much needed win last week against BYU. Offense looked good, so this is going to be a good one. Yeah, and and I'm 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 praying that the offensive line puts in another great shift. I mean, this Kansas State defense hasn't been phenomenal, but they've got 16 sacks on the year, five picks. They forced four fumbles and recovered two of those. So I mean, they they definitely show 
positive spurts on defense and to know you know TCU is a bit of a team that lives and dies within that turnover margin right I mean it's it's definitely kind of daunting to know hey K-State is able to force you know quite a few takeaways but kind of now shifting gears let's kind of put in our score predictions we know last week we all went 0 for 3 it was an 0 for last Wednesday but Zion or Seth either of you you know either of y'all can start but score predictions for TCU K-State what is that kind of looking like in 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 your guys' heads this is tough TCU has not played well in Manhattan the last two times. They've lost both of them. Last time was in very horrific fashion, and it was so bad that the administration here at TCU said, uh, we need a new head coach. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I kind of think the last couple opponents that have given TCU trouble, they've had trouble playing there in the past. Iowa State, Ames is, is a, not, a, not, a fun, not a fun place to play for a Horned Frogs, and neither is Manhattan in recent history. So that is why I am picking the Kansas State Wildcats to win this weekend's football game. Well, let's do another fun score. Let's go 29-26. to 26. Okay. Okay. Well, Seth, you made some valid points. I get it. It's tough being on the road. They've not had much success, but... The circumstances are different here. I'm a Josh Hoover believer now. I, I I always could believe that you know he could he could be good, but I'm fully I'm I'm on that train. I'm on that hype train. I'm taking TCU to win this football game, 35 to 31. Heard it here first. We are not getting exposed again. TCU will win this one. All right. Um. You know, I'm I'm confident in Josh Hoover. I'm confident in this TCU football team, but Manhattan, Kansas is a tough place to go. It's not me saying I don't have faith in Josh Hoover, but this is a game that I had down as a loss all season long, whether it was Chandler or it was Josh back there in the pocket. I've got to say I'm going to go Kansas State 34 to 27. I think it'll be a close game. I I just it's such a hostile territory. So yeah, 34-27. I go with Kansas State. Um should be interesting. I mean, it'll be a great game. TCU's going in there with a lot of confidence, and K-State with a little bit more to prove on this season, right, Seth? I mean, you said it earlier. This team came into this season with really, really high expectations, just like TCU. They've under-delivered they, under a little bit, you know, and so both teams have a lot to play for for this game. Um, but now kind of changing gears, let's look ahead to a possible bowl game, right? TCU is now four and three. They're two wins away from getting to that magic number of six where you are bowl eligible. Let's take a look at their schedule. So coming up, K-State this Saturday. After that, they go on the road on a Thursday night um, to go play Texas Tech. They come back home for a matchup against the Texas Longhorns, the Baylor Bears, and then they go on the road to finish the season off against Oklahoma and TCU needs two wins out of these next five games. And Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Baylor are probably your three best bets at circling one that, that is probably going to be a win. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. I, that's absolutely true. I, I mean, it, you don't expe- you're not going to be favored in, Tex- in the Texas or Oklahoma games at all, right? Even though the Texas game is at home, you're not going to be favored in... The OU game on the road. I, I might as I, I'm tempted to just put an L right there, right already, uh, because it looks like Oklahoma is going to be you know competing for 
a Big 12 championship spot and a college football playoff spot at that point in the season because uh, they already got the Texas game out of the way. So uh, it's kind of almost easy pickings for them. So uh, I, I think it's going to happen, though. I think they can get to six, and I think those will come. It's either, it's it's like you said, either going to have to be this week or uh, against Tech or Baylor. And if they do make it, uh, I know this is not something that we were asked to prepare. I hope it is the Pop Tarts Bowl. Me too. TCU, be awesome. the Big 12 does get, you know, that is there. It, it was the Cheez It Bowl, yep. but we have retired the Cheez It Bowl now to the Pop Tarts Bowl. Because we had two Cheez It Bowls for a real quick we, second. Well, we, ha- we did have the Cheez It. What was it? The che- and they were both in the same stadium. Yeah. It was the. Cheez-It was sponsoring a bowl, and then they also had the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah. But TCU is was the first team to ever compete in the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah. They played the California Golden Bears, and there were seven, eight combined interceptions between both teams oh in a 10-7 overtime final. Unbelievable. So I think TCU makes it to the Pop-Tarts Bowl. They will play Syracuse, and they will win. <laughs> Syracuse. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That'd, be, that'd be fun. Yeah. TCU. Pop Tart Bowl <laughs> champions, kind of a little bit of a little interesting drop you, off from last year well, from Fiesta Bowl yeah. and national championship to Pop Tart. Is it still not fun though? It I think it's fun. In Orlando, you get a big Pop Tart Bowl patch on your jersey. It's so much. I mean, fun. the merch is going to be pretty sick. Could Would the student? Be? Could the student body get like a free Pop Tart? Like all of us get a free Pop Tart for winning? I would be cool. TCU hands out free pop tarts for 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 the next year. Make it happen, Horn Frogs. Yeah, make, make it, it happen. happen. Make it happen. But so Seth, Seth says we'll make a bowl game. Yeah. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah. So I think we will because I think we're going to win on Saturday, and at that point you just need one more win for the rest of the season, and I think that comes against Baylor, and I think you finish six and six, right? Yeah. Yep. Six and six. That's my prediction. I think TCU can do it. It just you gotta you gotta. You're going to be underdogs in pretty much most of these games. So one of them, you just got to prevail and come through with a win. So I think they'll be fired up about that. And I think it comes against Kansas State and Baylor. What's your dream bowl? What's my dream bowl? Yeah, mine's the Pop-Tart Bowl. Uh, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. The L.A. Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> that was the first one that came to my head, honestly. So, um, yeah, sure. Ian, I will be asking you the same question, so be prepared. Oh, with, uh, with, with which is my favorite bowl? Okay, yeah. sounds good, sounds good. Well, now that TCU got the win over BYU, I'm a lot more confident. I see I'm circling Texas Tech and Baylor as your must-wins. Um, praying, I'm praying that there are no hiccups or speed bumps in those games. Um, but with those two games left and TCU setting out four wins, I'm going to say, yes, we will make a bowl game. I mean, as, as, as long as, you know, God willing, no other injuries come about and the team continues to perform. Josh Hoover stays confident. O-line stays intact. Defense continues to make plays. I mean, this this TCU team, I think, should be able to make a bowl game, especially if they get the win over Texas Tech and Baylor. And just like you said, Zion, if they do march into Manhattan this weekend and get that win over Kansas State, that's huge. So, um, But again, it's a very like week-to-week basis thing, right? I mean, this BYU game entering this last week, it was, you know, for me and and Seth, at least, we were kind of thinking, man, if you lose this, this is tough, right? Because then you need these three. But you won that. Now you now all you need is two, and there's two very, very winnable games sitting right there in Texas Tech and Baylor. But 
That will wrap up our segment previewing TCU and Kansas State this weekend. That's on Saturday, October 21st with kickoff slated for 6 p.m. Central Time. That'll be a huge game. And then, again, TCU's Road to the Bowl game, um, hopefully down in Orlando. That should be a lot of fun. Up next, in our final segment of the hour, we've got some college football talk. Houston beating West Virginia. Washington taking down Oregon. And then Stanford Cardinals, man, coming back to beat the Colorado Buffaloes. Stay right here on 88.7 The Choice to tune into our college football segment right here on Riff Ram Review on 88.7 The Choice. Chris, can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. M2, M2! Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work, there's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart, but I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control of my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Episode 8 of Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Napetian and Seth Dowdle. We talked a lot about TCU in this first hour, but we're going to keep that college football talk because there is a lot to unpack from this from this weekend in college football, and, and particularly in the Pac-12 because they had a busy weekend starting off first of all with washington and oregon truly one of the better games of the season the huskies winning 36 to 33 thanks to a missed field goal by oregon they survive they get the win and guys michael Penix jr was that guy and so was bo nix bo nix had a great game as well but michael Penix as Seth said, had his Heisman moment in this win for Washington and what was a massive win for their program. Shout out to the Husky boys. They did it (laughs) two years in a row. They've had awesome wins over Oregon. Uh, And you said it. I said it. Michael Penix had his Heisman moment indeed. Just watching him toward the end of the game, clearly in so much pain, uh, brought me flashbacks to that Max Duggan k-state game by the way uh in so much pain just willing his team to a victory he's throwing dots all over the field uh it was just such an awesome game an awesome environment that whole like build up to that game was really cool um i i'm never one to you know to rate and review college game day but i thought this was one of the better college game days of the of the of the year yeah uh we got some memorable quotes (laughs) oh from, from from the game day set from Desmond <laughs> Howard. Desmond Howard. Uh, I'll let everyone else just go and view that themselves if you want to. But I wish we could play it. I wish we could too. That'd be yeah. so fun. But anyways, yeah, everyone go check that out. There's some just uh, go look up Desmond some big Howard energy college game yeah. day. Yeah, from Desmond <laughs> Howard. Yeah, and then a kid, a student made a 30 yard field, 33 yard field I saw goal that. to win some. I think it was like thirty thousand or something. Extra like, cocky. 
thirty thousand dollars or something crazy. That's tuition money. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. Yeah, Dang. he missed the first one, and then they're like, "Give him another chance." Give him. A-. Pat McAfee's like, "Sure." And meanwhile, the producer's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, why are we doing this?" Like, and we weren't supposed to no, lose no, this. We don't no. have this in our budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he made it. So uh, hopefully, they're getting that all situation situated. And congrats to that kid because, that's, man, that's a lot of money. That's a happy husky. A happy yeah. husky. A lot of happy huskies. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in Seattle. Yeah, they pulled a kid, uh, Joel McHale, I think. That's yeah. Who, yeah, he was the celebrity guest picker. He. Pulls a kid's husky from the crowd. Yeah, he's just like sitting there in the stands, and the kid like gives him his dog, and then he goes up there on the on the podium to talk about the picks well, with, you're, a, you're, you're with missing, a random student's dog. You're missing a very important key moment about Joe McHale. He is in gold and purple body paint. He yep. is shirtless, and his entire body is painted gold and purple. Yeah. Was he really? Yeah. And he's holding this dog. This dog is becoming golden purple because it is just oh. in his arms. Felt pretty bad for the dog. But yeah. the dog dog was a good boy. He sat there the entire time as Joel picked the picks. Uh, he definitely picked Washington to win, and they did win the game. It was just an awesome and an incredible football game. The Pac-12 uh, continues to deliver bangers week after week after week. This conference is awesome. It's such a shame that it's imploding. It is a shame. Yeah, I mean, this season Pac-12 has been one of the most exciting conferences in college football, and I mean, yeah, it's 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 sad. It's definitely sad. Yeah, I'm definitely rooting for Michael Penix the rest of the way, though. I mean, just seeing him play this game, he obviously understands the offense very well. You could just get that from you could get that feeling from him, and his decisiveness, his ability to read the field really well. I mean, he looks off, looking off safeties to find open receivers down the field. He's he's got that it factor. I'm I'm all in on on this guy. So. Uh, wishing, hoping that he can continue this for the rest of the season. It, it's honestly a lot of fun because this conference has so many awesome quarterbacks, right? I think we've talked about that a lot. This game was just loaded at the quarterback position. You got Bo Nix and Michael Penix, two veterans of college football. They've been playing college football forever, it feels like, especially Bo Nix. I, I feel like he was playing college football when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, it might That might even not be too far of a, it uh, might not of be. a reach. No. Uh, it was just a ton of fun, a great game. Uh, that environment looked awesome. That's a beautiful stadium, by the way. Yeah. I have not had the opportunity to go to Seattle and see this campus slash stadium, but it's right on the water. Yep. And they had like these like boats docked yeah. right outside, and they were they were saying on the broadcast that people tailgate in the boats. Yeah, really. No, it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy up there in the Pacific Northwest. I I lived up in Oregon for six years when I was younger, and most beautiful place. I've seen in in my life. I mean, the whole Pacific Northwest, the landscape, the trees. I mean, it's beautiful. And then taking the train always up to up to Seattle and into Washington to watch A's and Mariner games. I mean, like you you basically go along the coast and stuff. And I mean, it's it's so beautiful. But Washington's a great place. And I mean, great great football heritage. Yeah. And uh, you know who else had a big game? Rome Adunze. Is that how you say it? Bingo. Yeah. Eight catches, 128 yards, two touchdowns. Just want to give him a quick shout out. Absolutely, it was a great game. Pac-12 though continued to deliver, and they delivered on Friday night, late into the wee hours. Yeah, uh, and well, it wasn't very good for for Colorado, if that's what if that's what we're going with. Yeah, Ian's uh, talking about Shadur Sanders flexing after uh-huh. they beat Arizona State. Get out of here. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it was a... Face the Stanford Cardinal. A bunch of nerds are about to beat you. Yeah, it was... A... <laughs> hey, credit to them. What does that make us, man? Yeah. I don't know, but but they did it. They won the game. Awesome performance. Uh, well, okay, we, we're kind of... Yeah. The Sanford's down 29 nothing at yes. halftime. That is... Uh, crazy, crazy, and they win the game in double overtime off of the most incredible wide receiver performance this world has ever seen. Ian, tell me about it. Okay, so this was in double overtime already. I forgot what the score was beforehand, but Alec Iomanor had 13 receptions for 294 yards in three touchdowns. He had a 97-yard touchdown, a 60-yard touchdown, and a 30-yard touchdown. The 30-yard touchdown being the most impressive one because I don't know how he made this catch over Travis Hunter. He kind of had to go back over Hunter to grab the ball. Then he pinned it against his nameplate or his helmet and basically walked him into the end zone. It was one of the most impressive catches I've ever seen. Um, play of the year, perhaps, so far up it's to this point. Up there. It's definitely up there. And, I mean, especially, you know, being down 29-zip at the half for Stanford to come back like that, I mean, credit to just credit to the Cardinals. And, I mean, what a game. And, I mean, for 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 um, for Io Manor, he had, I think, 14 receptions on the season entering that game. Then he has 13 in a single game with 294 and three tutties. So, Credit to him. I mean, what a game that was. I I, I was watching the movie halfway through, and then Gotta Seth texted me. Seth texted me, and I was like, okay, right, we're pausing this movie. I'm switching, and then I see overtime, and what a catch. Just, I was asleep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, okay, I don't even shame you because it was very late. Uh, sleep schedule was ruined to, to watch the end of this game. By the way, for all you one in four college football programs out there, a game like this is what it's going to take for us to talk about you. By the way, uh, we ain't going to talk about you if you if you go out there and then play Sam Houston State and you win by forty. You got to go out there and have a performance of a lifetime and beat uh, the Buffs on their own turf uh, in extraordinary fashion at two thirty Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, yeah. Shador Sanders had four hundred yards, five touchdowns. But the one interception has got to be up there for one of the most confusing decisions I've ever seen. He, they had the ball at the two-yard line. His drop back went back to about the 10. And next thing you know, he's at the 20-yard line before he lets go of that pass and basically gifts Stanford that win. Because that's a double overtime. Colorado chose to get the ball first, and it's not... For for uh, I saw a lot of confusion because this is the second time Colorado has done this. It is alternating choice, not alternating offense and defense. So uh, Colorado chose offense first, which then means that Stanford gets the choice of defense or offense on the second turn. So Colorado gets the ball first both times, and the second time it's third and goal at the two. Yep. If he throws it away at the nineteen, they kick a field goal and stay alive. And yep. now you you force Stanford to kick a field goal or score a touchdown. But no, he throws the pick, and then all Stanford has to do is get a couple more yards. They kick the field goal and they win. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that's probably probably the most shocking thing about it was that it was a third and goal. I mean, there's there's th- nothing else would have happened if you just throw that ball away, right? You throw it away, it's fourth and goal. You kick the field goal, or if you really really want to, you go for it. But it's third and goal. Nothing would have happened if he just tossed it away. And 
again, I mean, that, that play got botched from the very start. I mean, I know we, we were watching it today, and Zion pointed out that the two receivers on those crossers right over the middle basically at the goal line just doinked into each other <laughs> and you're just like and at that point it's broken. okay We're you're done. like broken play so what does he continue to do he goes back goes back goes back to the 19 to the 20 chucks it off his back foot and it's probably the easiest interception that that stanford cardinal has ever had in his career yeah that was very easy i like shadur sanders he's a great football player but sometimes he just holds on to the ball for a little too long, and that's kind of a would hurt me if I was a Colorado fan. That would be hard to watch sometimes. But he's still got a lot of potential. He's a good quarterback. Very poor mistake there. Uh, of, of note, though, this loss really puts a damper on the Colorado Bowl hopes. Mm-hmm. They have four wins, and their schedule, I'm pulling it up right now, is absolutely brutal for the rest of the season. They yeah. have UCLA, uh, they have a bye. Then UCLA, Arizona, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. Oh, wow. Yeah, they might not get it. They might get one more win. Yikes. That's tough. That That's a really difficult schedule because the Pac-12 is crazy. You know, another quarterback that that made very a plenty of poor decisions was Caleb Williams in USC because – they got blown out by Notre Dame, 48-20. to 20. We've been talking about USC for the last few weeks, and we, it was just that defense was not going to hold up, and, and they haven't been at all, and the offense can only do so much. A loss was coming. We, all, we, we knew with the schedule it was going to happen, and it happened to Sam Hartman and Notre Dame, who just dominated this game. I didn't think that the loss was going to come because Caleb Williams played like crap, though. And that's what happened, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Three interceptions, you know, gifting Notre Dame points, right? It wasn't because the defense imploded. They didn't play well, but, you know, if those three interceptions aren't thrown, obviously the game's much different. I didn't think that the loss was going to come like this. I thought it was going to be, like you said, the defense was just going to give up 400,000 yards. (laughs) They pretty much did, honestly. I mean, <laughs> this season has just been, and it's just been really hard for them. And and then they dropped to eighteen, and the yeah. and the, that just shows the voters that the voters had no confidence in them in the first place. I mean, they felt like okay, we'll keep them hanging around because they haven't lost yet. But once they do, oh, they're done. And yeah, that's it's not looking good for them because I imagine in the Pac-12 championship, it'll probably be a rematch of Washington and Oregon, unless USC can somehow figure out figure this out well, i don't and utah's lingering too don't forget about the yeah, Utes. They're, utah. they always seem to to destroy the pac-12's playoff hopes by <laughs> beating yeah. the champion the team in the championship game they did it like twice they yeah, beat Oregon yeah. once and they beat UC, usc last year yeah and and i mean just on that note usc has given up 40 or more points in their last three games that's against colorado arizona and this notre dame and then next week or sorry, this this coming weekend, they play number fourteen Utah. Then eventually they go to play the California Bears. Then you got Washington, Oregon, and UCLA to finish. Oh Good my luck. gosh, it's yep. brutal. Good luck if your defense is straight cheeks against so. yeah. against, <laughs> against Washington and Oregon, especially. Like that's yeah. going to be yeah really tough. Yep. Yeah. So we've seen some crazy finishes in college football. We saw one. With Stanford and Colorado, we saw one with Miami with that fumble. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we saw that with Notre Dame having too too few players on the field against Ohio State. We've seen some crazy games. 
but West Virginia and Houston could potentially take the cake as one of the craziest endings you will ever see a 49-yard Hail Mary as time expires gives Houston a heartbreaking loss to West Virginia after they scored with like 12 seconds left or something like that. It was crazy. It's actually the other way around. Houston beat West Virginia. Yeah. Oh, is that what you said? Well, they, they give West Virginia oh, a, a heartbreaking got loss. Got it. My yeah. bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, this... This game was absolutely nuts. Yeah. Houston was up 35 to 24 with 3 or so minutes to go. And West Virginia scores to bring it a 3-point game, force a quick punt and then score that touchdown uh with they score a 50-yard touchdown with 12 seconds left. And it's over, right? It's over. Nah. <laughs> no, it's not. This is the Cougs we're talking about. The Houston Cougs. <laughs> Cubes. Cubes. The Cubes. Cubes. A 49-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Smith, Texas Tech legend, to Stephon Johnson to win the game. Houston, their first Big 12 win. The first Big 12 win for a uh, one of the new four members that's not against one of the old, new yep. four members. Congratulations. Round of applause, everyone, to the Houston Cougars. West Virginia, what happened? Yeah. We thought you were going to be good. I know. I was actually high on West Virginia after they beat us i thought maybe they'd have a chance to compete here in the big 12 and that hurts a little bit yeah 42 combined points scored in the fourth quarter whoa i didn't even real oh my gosh yeah that's crazy oh my gosh that's a long and sad trip back home on the country roads (laughs) it's hilarious that this game was 21 to 17 going into the fourth quarter (laughs) that's a it was a normal game and then all of a sudden uh some witchcraft happened yep yeah it was a wild college football weekend, but that'll wrap up our number one. We're going to have a lot of baseball talk in the second hour with the Rangers and Astros game three. First pitch is in just in, in just a few minutes, so we'll be talking about the, the game a little bit as the game goes on, but we'll be talking about the first two games as well. You're listening to Riff Ram Review right here on KTCU The Choice. Chris. Can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. Am too, am too. Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work. There's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart, but I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control of my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Riff Ram Review here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. I'm Ian DePietian, joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle as we get kicked off here on our second hour of this two-hour evening um, here on KCCU. We just finished up talking about college football Went through TCU v. BYU. That was a emphatic win that really everybody kind of needed. And we previewed TCU against Kansas State. 
went over some of the amazing Pac-12 games that we saw this last weekend. But now it's time to shift gears, turning to the game of baseball. We got some ALCS talk. The Texas Rangers have literally, the first pitch was literally about 10, 15 seconds ago. They've started game three against the Houston Astros. So that's live right now. Um, but Rangers are up two zip right now in the ALCS. It's a best of seven. So they only need two more. And with Scherzer on the bump tonight, that could be a very, very big victory. But we can talk about whatever you guys want because you guys are the Ranger fans here. You guys own this segment. So, I mean, let's We're talk ner- about some of those first two games then also what tonight could kind of offer. We're nervous boys right no, now. This I is know. probably going to be the hardest hour of radio that I think I've ever done. As I don't know about you. It is going to be a challenge uh, knowing that my Rangers are playing right now. Multitasking at its finest. Yeah, uh, let's, but let's, you know, let's just let's get right into it. Games one and two, Zion went about as well as you could have hoped. Yeah, it was a 2 nothing win for the Rangers. Jordan Montgomery had a monster game. Six and a thirds, five hits, no earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. He was dealing. He neutralized an Astros lineup that has one through eight <laughs> is very dangerous because the, <laughs> the nine hitter is Martin Maldonado, and that's hard to uh, – he's, he's a hard – Hard watch. Watch, yes. I couldn't think of that word for a second. And, yeah, I mean, Jordan Alvarez had three strikeouts in that game. I mean, he was completely out of the picture there. So it was a big win for Texas. Some timely hits there from Jonah Heim and Leody Tavares, and the bullpen shut it down. They did the same in game two. And, uh, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Seth? Uh, yeah, it was, it was about as well as you could have hoped, neutralizing an Astros lineup that's really good. Uh, good to see Montgomery bounce back after that kind of rocky start against Baltimore. He gave exactly what this team needed. The key for Texas is shorten the game, and that's kind of what it is for every postseason team, right? Get it to those bullpen arms that you trust, and that's what that's what they're trying to do, and it's up to the starting pitchers to do that and to go long into the games, and for the most part, all postseason long, they've been able to get that. They got that from Montgomery, and that was huge. They got the runs that they needed. Obviously, they just needed one. They shut out the Astros. But uh, key moments in the game were that Evan Carter play in the second, stretching out a single into a double to then score on the Heim single uh, was huge. And then uh, you know things are going really well when Leody Tavares is hitting bombs off Justin Verlander. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... I think that's what's been most impressive, at least for me, you know, someone that doesn't follow the Rangers as closely as you two do, but you're, you know, seven, eight, nine hitters, particularly eight and nine with Josh Young and Leody Tavares, the way that they've been able to flip that batting order consistently and get on base and just cause traffic on the base paths has been probably one of the biggest sparks. And that's kind of one of the biggest game changers in the playoffs is where can you get the most out of those spots that don't typically produce, right? Because you already know that those guys might struggle a little bit, and that might be the weakness of your batting order. But, hey, we have one through seven pretty solid. If eight and nine find a way to get on, hey, credit to them. Let's then just hand the baton off to the next guy. And I feel like that's exactly what Leody Tavares has done um, this this whole entire postseason run. Yeah, he's hitting 348. <laughs> That's pretty good from your nine hitter, and I, I think the broadcast uh, Joe Davis and John Smoltz were kind of surprised by it too. I mean, I was too. I would not have p- uh, pictured Leody Tavares to hit a home run off Justin Verlander, but he's got some sneaky pop. Yeah. And then in game two, they won it five to four. 
Oh my goodness. This they game, came out quick. This game was very much like, oh my gosh, we're coasting to, oh my goodness, hold on, everyone for dear life. Very, not fast, but it was like a gradual decline into madness, it felt like. Uh, yeah, you you said it, Ian, very fast. The first 10 pitches from Framber Valdez were thrown, and the Rangers had three runs at the end of it. They scored one more in the inning uh, to go up 4 nothing after one, uh, just after the first half inning, and that's huge. You the Astros don't even get a chance to bat not down. Yep. And that was the case the entire game. Uh, Avaldi gave them just what they needed. A Houdini act in the oh fifth, if I'm correct. Was it yep. the fifth or the fourth? It was the fifth. Bases loaded, nobody out. 9-1-2 and two coming up. Maldonado is pinch hit for. They bring in Yiner Diaz, which is the correct call. Better hitting catcher. Strikes out. Here comes the top of the order. Jose Altuve. Splitter down in the zone. Strikeout. Second pitch then to Alex Bregman, ground out to third inning over, no run score. That was the ball game right there. Momentum completely shifted. Even when Houston, you know, had moments of like, all right, they maybe they're back into it, shut down every single time. Yeah, and and I think that's kind of been the the storyline for the Houston Astros so far, at least in this ALCS, is with runners in scoring position um, in game two, they were 0 for 6. Then in game one, runners in scoring position one for three, but in game one, they barely got any traffic on the bases. But for the Astros, I mean, this is something that we haven't really seen from them is when they typically get guys on base, they're able to drive them in and just continue that inning. But they've really struggled against the Rangers here who have a tremendous starting rotation or perhaps a starting rotation that has evolved into something much more special than initially expected. And then, I mean, the bullpen has really done a great job in coming in and shutting the Astros down and, you know, not to mention shutting down the Orioles, shutting down the Rays. But, I mean, for Houston, you lose 5-4 to four and you look and you say, okay, we had two solo home runs. We had one run in four different innings. So it's a lot of, hey, here's a sprinkle of offense, here's a sprinkle of offense, but nothing of what the Rangers do of getting guys on base and tacking them on, right? I mean, I think in there's bunches, a, right? in bunches, right? Yeah, there's a stat that Fox continues to show, and I love it. It's that the Rangers have scored three or more runs in more innings than any other team this entire season, and that's what they continue to do. They're a team that likes to get on base and not just bring in one run or two runs, but they just continue to tack it on, and that's kind of been the biggest difference maker for, for, for this series. Yeah, they're building confidence off each other. Is yeah, you know, okay. We can kind of string together hits. Hits scoring can be contagious in baseball. That's been said, and that it's very much the case here with Texas. They scored enough runs to pull out this win. And a big key in this game, and what will need to happen the rest of the series is with Jordan Alvarez. He was quiet in Game One, but man, did he figure it out in Game Two because he hit two nukes to right field off Evaldi and Aroldis Chapman. The key here is what I, the point I'm trying to make is that if Jordan Alvarez is going to come up, like you need either one runner on or nobody on base because he's going to make you pay. The problem is, is you have to get still get him out. Altuve, Bregman out, and then yeah, you still have to try and get Jordan out. So that's sort of the problem there. But shout out to the bullpen. Josh Spores has really become a great guy here in that seventh inning. Jose LeClerc has pitched in every single postseason game for Texas. He's given up one earned run. So big shout-out to him. Um, and, and hopefully Roldis Chapman can figure it out. Because yeah. he 
They need him too. He, he was okay. He was good for the first two outs, but you need yeah. three outs, and well, he gave up a home run to Jordan. And the pitch wasn't horrible. It was yeah, a it slider wasn't. on the outside it part wasn't. of the zone, but you cannot let him get his hands extended. Yeah, that's why yeah, that was the key. Montgomery was pitching in because if you can just if you let him get his hands extended, he's so strong yep. that he's gonna, you know, he's gonna hit a nuke. But Montgomery, a very smart approach in that first game was we're just gonna pitch him inside, yep. and if we walk him, we walk him. But if we can get him, you know. On the hands, that's what we want. We want soft contact from Jordan, but because if you let him get the barrel on the bat, it's an automatic 450-foot homer, and that's what happened on the two bombs. Was that fastball that Evaldi threw was just a little bit more out on over the plate than they wanted, and that slider. I mean, a, a decent pitch, but not what you needed in that situation. Yeah, and and kind of going back to what you said, Zion. I mean, that's the whole trouble with the Astros lineup, or at least that kind of top of the order, that one through four, one through five, is that. Yeah, Jordan Alvarez is perhaps the biggest threat, especially with the long ball and with guys on base, but you still have Altuve, Bregman, and Tucker in front of him, at least in Game 2, the way the lineup was. You still got to get those three guys out. And even though Altuve and and Tucker have struggled in this this, uh, ALCS series, they're going to catch fire eventually, you would think. And it's it's, it's, it's a really tough lineup that doesn't have many holes in it outside of, you know, at the very end with maybe, you know, your Chaz McCormick's or, you know, your Martin Maldonado's who hit a buck 50 and, and somehow survived years and years in that. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's so different than the first two series yeah. that the Rangers played because you get to the bottom of the Orioles lineup, and the Orioles lineup is great. It's a good team, right? They won 101 games for a reason, but Jordan Westberg is not intimidating me like Chaz McCormick does. Yeah. You got Cedric Mullins, Adam Frazier... Those, it, guys, those guys struggled that series. They don't have the same pop, you're right, that, that that Astros lineup does. But the Rangers have done a great job maneuvering uh, through it so far. Uh, going forward now, uh, the game's already started, obviously. Uh, if you're listening after the fact, then this is all old news, right? But we're right in the middle of it. We're in the middle of the scene. One uh, inning through. One inning through. No the, score. No score. Uh, both uh, two, one, two, three innings for both pitchers. Uh, Scherzer. After missing a month, yeah. I just looked. His velo is up after that first inning. His fastball velocity was higher than Rip. it has ever been. It was. Entire oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't pull up the game right now. I just have the play-by-play here on uh, Fox Sports. Well, I, I do want to make note, and you know me, both pitchers throwing perfect games right now. Oh, <laughs> wow. We'll Imagine we up. come back. <laughs> Max Scherzer somehow. No, I, I hope... I hope when we look back at this, the Rangers have a 3-0 series lead. And what's that going to take for them to win is Max Scherzer needs to have a relatively short leash. I'm hoping four innings. I hope I come back to this and say, yes, you were right. He gave us four good innings, and then you go from there. Because he's not pitched in a long time. And he's not going to give you the Nathan Evaldi, Jordan Montgomery length of six to seven innings. That's just not – that would not be wise. And Bruce Bochy is – a very good manager, so that wouldn't probably wouldn't happen. Gonna need a, a good piggyback situation. Yep. Uh, and then Javier on the other side for the Astros has been unreal in his postseason career. Uh, Seventeen plus innings in his postseason career he has yet to allow a run. Uh, so just kind of tough there. Yep. Oh wow. You know Christian Javier is funny because 
during the regular season, I, I actually watched him pitch a decent amount. He would give up 20 runs in a game, and they'd still win 21 to 20. Like, it just is like, how? How? He, he has so many. I, I don't know his ERA. I don't know his numbers. But to me, it just felt like he would get so much run support. His one start against Texas, I think he went like four and a third, nine hits, eight earned runs. Yeah. He got rocked. And I think the Rangers won that game, but um, still, it's it's pretty remarkable. But in the postseason, it just flips a switch. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Jordan um, Alvarez is batting right now. Uh, this is very nerve-wracking. What was Javier's numbers? Oh, I, I was I was going to say something else, but um, Jordan just took a hit-by-pitch to the ankle. Oh, shoot. To the back foot, his left foot. That's but better than a homer. It is better than a homer. But talking about Javier, though, I think what's interesting, um, and I'm trying to remember the pitcher. He, he's for the Yankees. I'm just blanking out on his name. Is it, was it Luizaga? Or, or no, I'm thinking of someone else, but sorry. My whole point is that with Christian Javier, he's someone that can start games for you, but he's also someone that is a bit of like a long relief guy. Right, I mean, he is very—he—he—he he, he has the ability to come in in a situation where your starting pitcher doesn't go deep and come in and settle things down, right? But then at the same time, he turns around, and then last year he was eleven and nine with a two point five four ERA in twenty five games, and then this year it wasn't the best, but he was still two—sorry, uh, he was still ten and five with a 4.5 and so i mean whenever he whenever he pitches he always gets the run support which i think is interesting but he's he's a kind of player that you can kind of do a you know a few things with which i you know is either start the guy and see how he does or if if your starter doesn't go the distance and you need someone to kind of pick up the pieces he's also there as well he's been just he's been so good in the postseason that i feel like dusty baker trusts him a lot especially yeah. in a situation like this where you're down 2-0 and you're back against the wall Exactly, exactly. Well, that will wrap up our ALCS talk. Again, the Rangers and Astros are going at it in Game 3 here in Arlington. That is going on right now. It's the top of the second. But when we come back, we will shift gears and go over to Philadelphia and uh, Arizona. Excuse me. Phillies are up 2-zip in what has really felt like a dominant series. So more of that to come in the next segment. But stay here on 88.7 The Choice. You're listening to Riff Ram Review on KTCU. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to episode eight of Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 KTCU The Choice. I'm Zion Trammell here with Ian Napetian and Seth Dowdle. We just talked about the ALCS between the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. We're going to talk now about the NLCS between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks that has seemingly been a one-sided series thus far with the Phillies winning game one five to three then they won game two ten nothing this Phillies offense is just relentless right now especially at home heavily relying on the home run ball it's been it's been a tremendous series for this Phillies offense oh my goodness gracious Uh, poor Diamondbacks they didn't know what they were getting themselves into the Phillies are hitting on all cylinders Literally. Everything that hits the cylindrical part of the bat seems to be going over the fence. <laughs> the cylindrical part of the bat. Yeah, I mean, right now, it doesn't feel like there's much in the way of the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, they're mashing their way so far. They they, they put up five runs against Arizona in Game 1, won that one 5-3, to three, and then in Tuesday night's game for Game 2, put up 10 runs. I mean, it's it's been a dominant pitching performance and also hitting. It's... And I kind of feel bad for Arizona because there's just not many bright spots to look into. And if I'm being completely honest, um, game one, remind me who pitched game one again. That was For who? This is the for, 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 oh, yeah. and okay, uh, yeah. Gallon. Yeah. It was Gallon for the Diamondbacks in game one. Then it was Merrill Kelly in game two. I know Merrill Kelly gave up, what was it, maybe like six or seven runs in game two or, or five. But I felt like he actually pitched fairly well. And in game one, I mean, Zach Gallon didn't pitch a poor game. It's just the Phillies kind of just jumped on him early. But he still settled down. And it's it's just a little tough right now because the Phillies are just, I mean, the, the Phillies are just the overall better team in most of the facets of the game. They've been better with runners in scoring position. And again, not to mention, you need to get guys on base to have them in scoring position, to, you know, to have them in scoring position to begin with. So... It's tough, and going into Arizona, I'm I'm hoping you know I'm hoping the Diamondbacks could grab a game, but it'll it'll definitely be tough, and it's 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 a tough road for for Arizona. So, yeah, trying to win at that ballpark in Philly. Good luck. Yeah. It's it's just too much, and they I, I yeah I just don't think the Diamondbacks are going to have enough to to compete with Philadelphia here. I, I just I don't I don't know. We'll see what happens if if things turn around, but. Yeah, the Phillies look really good, and, and Trey Turner is really becoming the guy that they paid a lot of money for. Yeah, and, and to see the way that he's bounced back after that real tough stretch, getting into that slump, and then the whole city of Philadelphia and the whole Phillies fan base kind of getting behind him was was really interesting to see happen. And, I mean, it was like a, a, a flick of a switch for him. I mean, he turned it on and... I mean, in in last night's game, he had two homers, and I mean, he's been on an absolute tear ever since he's kind of come back from from that from that lull, perhaps. Um, But yeah, Citizens Bank Park is just oh my gosh, that that place is a different beast, especially in the postseason. What are y'all's thoughts on it being called the greatest home field advantage in baseball right now? Yes, agree or disagree? Agree or disagree? In all the sports, I say if you were to insert any team into the playoffs, do you think that that's still the best? Um, any team. Hold on. I mean, I think I, look at the I think Atlanta has <laughs> Atlanta has pretty good a pretty good crowd, but obviously Philly was able to overcome that. Um, I would say Houston has a pretty good. Is it better than? It's not better than Philly though. No, that's. I'm just naming teams at this point. No, I mean, um, I know San Francisco 
in Oakland could get very loud too when their teams are yeah. the season. Yeah, I mean, I think right now, and it's I think Philly. for the foresee- for the foreseeable future, it will be Philly. But yeah, I mean, I agree with Zion, and this is all bias aside. I mean, I can't stand the Giants, but I mean, Oracle Park gets pretty freaking rowdy. Yeah, and Oakland. When the fans do come out, because because there are fans, there are fans, <laughs> yeah. um, it yeah. gets loud. It yeah. gets crazy. And all that concrete, you know, jumbling up and down, you know, can yeah. cause an earthquake. Yeah, <laughs> it could. <laughs> and I got to give credit to the, to you know, I mean, Seth and I were there for, for game three. It was oh, it was really loud, though, at, for the Rangers. That was a really fun atmosphere. But regardless of, and this is, I'm, I'm just going to say that if, assuming Philly, advances to the World Series, regardless whether it's Texas or Houston, they are going to have a very difficult tr- time trying to win in that ballpark. Yep, yep. It's um, it's going to be crazy. And, I mean, just, just thinking about the different stadiums, I can only imagine what it would be like if Citizens Bank had a roof. Oh, my. Could you imagine? Oh. Amplified, right? Seriously. Yeah. I think my ears would bleed because it's so loud. Yeah, and... <laughs> But I mean that's Philly sports for you. I mean it's when when it's bad it's bad, but when it's good it's 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 wonderful. Yeah. I mean and and but no, I mean Citizens Bank has been great. I think it, it's interesting and and you know this is me not trying to look too far ahead because there's still some games left. But Phillies and Rangers are both you know leading in the series 2-0, right? How cool would that be to ha- for the Rangers and the Phillies to have started the season in Arlington, and then you end the season playing each other in the World Series? I'm not each gonna, other. I'm not gonna let that thought it would into that would my be brain. really it's, it's, neat though it would be unique it would be unique and cool yeah be. i think that would be a very exciting matchup and uh that would be a lot of fun to watch especially because both these teams have very potent offenses uh kyle schwarber is i mean he's he's hitting home runs left and right and uh nick castellanos again trey turner bryce harper they just have a very very deep lineup and man Diamondbacks, they got a lot to to clean up here if they're gonna make this a series, and they they probably have the weakest home atmosphere. I would say of the four teams probably, and no disrespect to Arizona, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's weak as in it's unproven. Yeah, right. We haven't seen it for so long, right? Exactly. And for, for the longest time, I mean, the Diamondbacks have just been. A, a severely uncompetitive team. Yeah. Right. And and I I'd, I'd like to imagine because I'm sure there are going to be a lot of fans that are very excited for this series and they're going to have to show up for for game three, four, and five at home. Right. And I mean we were talking about it um, earlier and and just even last week. But right. I mean the, the the best of seven. It's two in Philadelphia, then three in Arizona. So this is Arizona's chance to grab a couple back. And not just grab two, but if you can even, you know, I mean, you have three games at home, so you have even more chances to kind of flip this series and have it sway your way. But, I mean, it, it'll be tough. Um, um, I, I did want to ask you guys, of the Diamondbacks order, who do you guys kind of see as, like, the person that's going to spark this offense? They've, they've been really quiet outside of game one. Um, and even in game one, they only put up three runs. But they have a couple of quality players I mean, they've made it here. They're, they finished season 84 and 78. Who do you guys think is going to maybe be that postseason hero that we've always seen every year, right? There's a postseason hero. Who, who might that be for the Diamondbacks? 
I think it's got to be Corbin Carroll. Yeah. I think you, your best player's got to step up in the big moments, and I think Corbin Carroll in that leadoff spot is going to have to, you know, step up and play and play really good baseball because he struggled in the first two games, uh, but he played really really well against the Dodgers, and you see, and we saw obviously how that played out. So, going to need a, a really good performance out of him, I think, and of course everyone in that lineup. The, the the fact is though, the Diamondbacks lineup is not as deep as Phillies, and there's weak spots in it. But when they get going, they can get going because you got guys like. Corbin Carroll, and you've got the Cattell Martes of the world, and the Christian Walkers, and Tommy Fams, and they they can hit right. So they're going to need them to get going. Uh, but what's really unfortunate is for Arizona is that they threw their their big dogs games one and two, and they lost. Yeah. Right now you're going in, and we got our guy Brandon Fott coming in to pitch game three, uh, and we'll see how the rookie does. Yeah, I think of course, yeah, definitely Corbin Carroll. I think Cattell Marte. He's one f- or no, he had two hits yesterday, and he's definitely turned things up here in the postseason. But I'm going to talk about Christian Walker because I think Christian, if the Diamondbacks are going to win this series, Christian Walker needs to supply some of that power, and that obviously depends. You know, Corbin Carroll, Marte, assuming they get on base and stuff, I, I want to see Christian Walker supply that power. He has one home run this postseason, five RBIs. He had 33 home runs and 103 RBIs in the regular season. So I think if anyone's going to provide that big swing that gives them the momentum, it's Christian Walker. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And and kind of going back to Corbin Carroll and this Diamondbacks team, this Diamondbacks team is young, and especially with Corbin Carroll, he's someone that likes to get on base and he likes to steal. Um, This season he came in third. Overall, in stolen bases on the year, he had 54 behind Estiuri Ruiz with 67, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. with 73. I'm just waiting for him to get on base a little more, or even some of his counterparts to get on base, get comfortable, and then have a shot, take off, right? Those are the little things that I think the Diamondbacks are going to have to do to beat the Phillies. They may not beat them in the prettiest way, but they'll have to play a little bit of small ball sacrifices here and there and really just manufacturing runs because because the the Diamondbacks are not going to out-hit Philadelphia. They're probably not going to out-pitch Philadelphia, especially after these first two games. So you're, it's, it's going to be tough, but now they're kind of struggling and they're going to have to find ways to really make up runs themselves. Um as opposed to just kind of waiting for the bats to wake up and do something. Yeah, I agree. I think that's something they that they could do and get, you know, play some smart baseball, run the bases well, you know, smart ABs. Yeah. They need to they need to figure it out so they can you know jump in the pool and celebrate. Yes, and, we need uh, that. And Chase Field, we need more of that. Yeah, we do. Jumping in the pool and Chase Field is definitely on my bucket list. Yeah. I don't know how much tickets in that little section costs, but. I don't know. I'd love to do it. I I, I went to Chase Field over spring break to to go check out uh, spring training in the uh, USA against Columbia WBC game. Man, it was fun. Was it a cool ballpark? It was. It was a really neat ballpark. It was the first time I was at Chase Field. I've been to Arizona four, five, six times, but first time at Chase Field. And I mean, it's it's definitely an older ballpark, but nothing where it's like yikes this thing is old and deteriorating i mean i'm I'm coming from oakland here so but chase field is great i love like all the amenities that they have i mean and again being there for a usa um columbia wbc game was it was a ton of fun i got i picked up my mike trout usa jersey there that was oh, a lot nice. of fun um but yeah 
I'd love to go and I got, jump in that pool. I got a, I got a question for yeah. you about Chase Field. It okay. is said that they have one of the best air conditioning units in yeah. the world. Is that true? Yeah, I, it was. And yeah, I, I, that, that, that's actually funny you said that because I wasn't thinking about that atmosphere until you said it. But I've been in some dome stadiums before, and it was pretty cool in there. And for Arizona, be. I mean, it, you know, I mean, obviously it's Arizona desert, right? So. I mean, inside, it was very comfortable. I was surprised. Um, I'm not typically a fan of dome stadiums. You guys know that. Yeah. But Chase Field was pretty pretty dang nice, I got to be honest. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun little time. You heard it here first. Go check out Chase Field. It's going to cool you down real fast. Go jump with the pool. We don't know how much it costs, but do it. It costs too much. You Probably. Could, you could just do it. Just in spite just <laughs> run over there and just do it. Jump the fence. Yeah, you, could, you never know. It um, says no diving, but... Take yeah. a dive. Well, I wonder how deep it is. Like four feet. <laughs> I wish it had like a really deep end. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> like, it, like it's like dr- uh, yeah. water, trying to barely staying afloat, and they're trying to watch the game. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so Phoenix fans, Arizona fans, they're hoping a little bit better from the Diamondbacks because their Cardinals are not doing so well. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, we're gonna talk about the NFL right here on Riff Ram Review on eighty-eight point seven, The Choice. The mission statement of Hope Farm is simple, providing a leadership program guiding at-risk boys to become Christ-centered men of integrity. The vision is promising, cultivating a future and a hope for boys. But the challenge, it's great. The boys at Hope Farm who range in age from 5 to 18 share one bond. None of them have a father living in the home. Most of their fathers chose to leave their families. Studies have shown that fatherless children are 76% more likely to take part in crime, 69% more likely to take drugs, and 90% of all homeless and runaway children, they're from fatherless homes. We will pay one way or another, either now to prepare these boys for a bright future or later to keep them locked away so they don't negatively impact our future. Either way, we pay. Consider partnering with Hope Farm as we dream bigger than ourselves and sow the seeds for the future. For more information, visit HopeFarmFW.org. That's HopeFarmFW.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Riff Ram Review here on KTCU The Choice, your choice for college radio. We're getting into our last segment here with some NFL talk. We've already talked about some baseball as we said, the Ranger game and Astros game is currently going on. It is three, sorry, four to nothing. Um, Houston Astros lead over the Rangers at the top of the third. Definitely a tough start to game three for Max Scherzer. But we got to move over and talk about some NFL. And you guys, I'm sure you guys are very happy. Cowboys winning on Monday Night Football against the Chargers. That was a fun game. They kind of went down to the wire a little bit. Um, what do you guys think? I mean... If you, you know, this team obviously took a big hit against the Niners, losing uh, 42 to 10. Um, but they bounced back against a Chargers team that they probably should have beat, and they did. So, yeah, it was a much needed win there for the Cowboys as they head into their bye week. It wasn't perfect, but it was nice to enjoy a close game because the Cowboys really have not had that this whole season. All their games have been leads by 10 or more it just blowouts so it was kind of nice to enjoy a close game where you just felt like the cowboys were probably going to hold on um i think it, again it was a little sloppy there were 
a lot of penalties on the on the defense with offsides and holding on on the offense and that's something that you got to clean up and it's kind of just been a problem with the Cowboys all season long so you sort of come to expect that but the big big note here is that Dak Prescott had a, bo- a huge bounce back game he really struggled against San Francisco in this game he went 21 of 30 272 yards and a touchdown with a QB rating of 109.3 which is pretty good and he, he ran seven times for 40 yards and a touchdown so huge bounce back for Dak CD Lamb had a monster game it was great to see him get the ball a lot good win indeed indeed it was uh needed uh you never uh he never apologized for wins in the National Football <laughs> League and the Cowboys certainly will not apologize for this one even though it was sloppy uh they got it done uh there was a screaming Chargers fan at the game, industry plan. We got to talk about that. We do, yeah. and I think we need to talk about it right now because Cyan just talked about every all the key points of the game. We yep. could scrub it. Cowboys won the game. Yep. Chargers fan, go. She was in Minnesota that one time. They took a picture of it. I saw her on Instagram. They they posted saying she was in Minnesota doing something for the Vikings, going crazy. And then again, she went on the Pat McAfee show the next day. The next day, and you're just like. Oh, you know, she's talking how you know how happy she or how 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 crazy she gets at her kids' you know sporting events. I'm just like, yeah. How they find you so fast, woman? Yeah. Here's where I have the questions: Is okay. So, if you have four kids, where were your kids? It was just you and at the football. Not that you can't go to the foo- a football game by yourself, but. She's like the only one there. She didn't bring one of the kids or her husband, you know? Those are some expensive tickets. Those are expensive, but at least your husband, maybe? I don't know. I just think that's a little strange. And then I also thought it was weird how on the Pat McAfee show, she had like these football, and again, this is all speculation, but she had like the football helmets behind, and she was really talking about like the NFL and really like being very positive about everything. And it's just seemed a little weird but hey maybe she is just a very passionate chargers fan it just feels like it's a roger goodell thing where it's like ah we have this no fun league thing going on we need to bump it up a little bit you know yeah and just well, put this crazy lady in there well, also in los angeles where no matter who's playing especially if it's the cowboys or like the niners or someone there's no chargers fans there no. it, it sounded like a home game when the cowboys were on offense it was dead yep. silent yeah and that's like i hate that i don't like that very much i wish that the your home environment was your home environment, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But so, I mean, the verdict here with the three-man jury of Refram Review. Fake. Yeah. Fake, right? Fake. I mean, industry plant, yes? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. Has to be. But, going, ah. but yeah, that was, that was weird. And um, another thing I wanted to note, though, too, is I don't want to move on too quickly from this game, is Justin Herbert had was kind of off this game. He was pressured a lot. And uh, credit to Micah Parsons, Dorrance Armstrong, those guys up front. Osa Digizua had a big game as well, disrupting plays. But Justin Herbert was definitely off his game. He missed Keenan Allen a few times wide open, threw an interception at the end. Some people blame that on our Quentin Johnston from TCU, but you know, it wasn't a great throw either. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And Chargers, man, they... Whew. That was bad. And also, they did not run the ball very well. Austin Eckler had 14 carries for 27 yards in his return. So credits, again, to the Cowboys defense. They, they balled out. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, with Herbert, I think it's interesting because 
two weeks ago, or t- now two and a half weeks ago, when they played the Raiders, that's when Herbert got a hand injury. He was he was stiff arming Ma- uh, Max Crosby. His fingers kind of got caught up in his in his grill or in his face mask, whatever it is, and he he kind of messed it up. I don't know exactly what hand it was. I was under the impression it was his left hand. So it is kind of interesting that. He was off this game. I thought, okay, maybe if it's his right hand, maybe that's that was the issue. Um, but, yeah, there were a couple times where he had Keenan Allen wide open and simply overthrew him. Um, he didn't make the best reads on Monday night. Um, he, he looked a little more panicky than usual. Maybe that's just because, I mean, the Cowboys brought the heat from their D-line and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, Herbert looked um, Her- Herbert looked a little off and and just didn't seem like the same composed self that we've kind of seen you know yeah it did and wasn't wasn't his best game and the cowboys will gladly take that and that's just momentum now they're four and two you feel better about where you are at this point in the season you can take the bye and then you have the rams uh, to open up after the bye so yeah and with this cowboys win now that they're four and two they gain a game on the philadelphia eagles who lost to the New York Jets by a score of 20 to 14. The Jets, who are two and three entering this game, are now back at 500, sitting three and three, handing Philadelphia their first loss of the season. They shut out Philadelphia in the second half. They went into halftime down 14 to nine, the New York Jets, and then they scored three in the third, eight in the fourth, twin that baby 20 to 14. I mean, again, maybe it wasn't the prettiest game from Zach Wilson and the Jets, but the defense stepped up. And Zach Wilson got the job done. Brees Hall didn't have the greatest day running, but he got into the end zone. Garrett Wilson, eight receptions for 90 yards. So on the flip side of the Cowboys, I mean, it was good for the win, but also great that the Eagles lost that one. It was. If I could have a very evil, maniacal witch laugh right now, I would. Because, oh, it is such a good day when the Eagles lose. Because it's just... it. It makes me feel. It makes me feel happy. I, I don't like when the Eagles are good. I want the Eagles to lose. I pray on their downfall. It's fun though when they're good and the Cowboys and them are both good at the same time. That's when it's fun. It is, and those games do will be a lot of fun. Uh, but Jalen Hurts, huh? Three interceptions. That's uh That's quite interesting. I haven't seen a, a ton of slander. I mean, I've seen it, but it's pretty interesting when. Dak Prescott throws three interceptions. The entire internet blows up. Jalen Hurts does it. Eh. Next week. Well, it's funny you say that because I saw a post last weekend after, you know, the whole weekend of, of, of the NFL games finished. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was just interesting because there's a post talking about fantasy football. And it said only it said like three percent of the nation's teams in fantasy football still don't have a win, and the picture on the post was Dak Prescott. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? I felt bad for the guy. And then I was looking at the comments, and one of the most liked comments was, "Dak continues to catch strays." Yeah, what? Oh, that's messed up, man. Yeah. Yeah, Dak's, was, I will say Dak may not be the most reliable fantasy quarterback right now, but still, that's man, that's messed up. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. And and again, I mean, I'm I'm kind of there with you. It's 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 a little tough when you know. I mean, it's obviously the Cowboys. There's a lot of scrutiny over the Cowboys. Cowboys are kind of you know 
you know, they're the nation's team, but everyone else hates them except for Cowboys mm-hmm. fans, right? You know, and so you're always going to be catching some negative things um, from other fans. But yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was very peculiar that, and it was an ESPN NF on yeah. NFL account too that posted it too. So, um, so yeah, just just kind of interesting. Yeah, and that just and I I will say it just comes with being quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. You're going to be prone to more criticism, and and Dak definitely deserved it after that game against uh, San Francisco. But again, I mean, Philadelphia at this point they have. They've been good, but I feel like sometimes they just narrowly escape some of these games. Uh, last week they kept it close with the Rams. The Rams have been better this season, but they won twenty-three to fourteen. They beat. They had to go to overtime to beat Washington. Uh, first game of the year, they kept it close with New England. They barely beat Minnesota by by f- uh, four points, I believe. So, I, I obviously I think the Eagles are one of the best teams in the NFC, uh, but it just shows that they are beatable and. They struggled to run the football, and when they can't do that and they have talented receivers, it, it definitely gets a little interesting. And credit to New York for hanging in there tough when things have looked tough without Aaron Rodgers to go out there and, and get a win against a very good football team. Yeah, and, and I mean, this this Jets team moving now to 3-3, three and three, that's huge. Again, for Zach Wilson and, and, and Robert Sala, I mean, this is definitely – what you want to start seeing and getting this big win against the Philadelphia Eagles is huge. But now moving on to a game that I think everyone probably thought would have been wrapped up before the kickoff was going to be this Niners and Browns game. Browns coming into this game, obviously Nick Chubb is gone. Um, and then Deshaun Watson, for some reason, still kind of unknown on why he didn't play the game. But you come in, I don't even know who the quarterback was. Oh, P.J. Walker. Yep. Right, P.J. Mm-hmm. Walker. Yeah. yeah. And then the Niners... Just lay an egg. I mean, the, the the Niners lost 19 to 17. It came down to the wire with Jake Moody, former Michigan kicker, really great kicker in college, misses his first field goal attempt of the season. I mean, sorry, misses his first field goal of the season, not his first attempt, but this was his first missed field goal of the season. And I mean, big ups to the Browns to kind of fight through this. I mean, the whole lead up to this game was just. Poor Cleveland. They're going to go down two and three. Niners improved to six and zero, oh, but Brock Purdy didn't look too good. McCaffrey took a knock. Debo took a knock. Now reports have said that these two guys aren't facing long term, um, you know, injuries and things like that. But still, I mean, even without those guys, you would have you would expect the Niners to kind of put up a little better fight. Yeah, and it's losing those guys is tough they also lost trent williams there for a little bit but this browns defense is pretty legit miles garrett's obviously the the leader of that defense and they have a really good secondary too with uh was it rodney mcleod greg newsome um they they have a pretty good secondary and i i've been pretty impressed with what cleveland's done on defense i think it's one of the more underrated defenses in the nfl but to win a game, to beat San Francisco where P.J. Walker has no touchdowns and two interceptions is pretty impressive. And Brock Purdy, I think, for the first time this season, didn't look very clean in the pocket. Uh, some of his decisions were a little were a little off. So um, I think the Niners, they'll be okay. They're still the best team in the NFC. But props to the Browns. Beating San Francisco in the regular season has been very hard to do over the last couple seasons. So this was Brock Purdy's first loss as a starter where he played the whole game. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, it is insane because it's like, wow, like why, how in the world does a team like the Niners, which is just world beaters, 
lose to a Browns team with PJ Walker. It doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, shout, uh, shout out to the Cowboys there real fast because they uh, teams were 0 and 15, I believe. Uh, after playing the Niners in the regular season since last year, uh, and the Cowboys won the game. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty interesting. And then, uh, speaking of former Cowboys, Amari Cooper, four catches, 108 yards, big game for him. Um, so, yeah, really, really solid win there for Cleveland. Um, again, they were without Watson. They were without Nick Chubb, who's you know been out for a while now, but uh, a good win for them, and uh, that's got to feel good. I think they're going to be competitive in that AFC North with Cleve- uh, with Cincinnati and Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it at all. Um, but now kind of just looking ahead to, gosh, what is it, week seven, seven right? Yeah, it's crazy. Is it week seven? I think so, yeah, week seven. Yeah, it is week seven. That's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. So week seven of the NFL is coming up real quick. We've only got a couple minutes left here, but we want to just touch on a couple of games, starting off with the Dolphins and the Eagles, both teams 5-1. and one. Dolphins just continuing to tear it up. Um, gosh, I mean, Mike McDaniel is just drawing up some some great plays, and I mean, Philly's going to look look to bounce back. This is going to be played over at Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, so that should be a really, really great game on Sunday Night Football too. So I mean, I'm 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 really looking forward to that, and I mean to see the Dolphins. I mean this this will be a really, really good test for them. Not to say that they're not the real deal, but Eagles are gonna probably be their best. You know, their 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 toughest opponent up to this point. Yeah, the Eagles coming off a loss at home. I think the Eagles. Are, I actually am gonna pick the Eagles to win this game. I can't believe I'm yeah. saying that, but I think they will. Uh, but Miami certainly has so much potency on that offense. It'll be really fun to see Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and to at- attack that Eagles secondary. And it's pro- that game is going to be won at the at the line of scrimmage and seeing what that Eagles defensive line can do against that trying to pressure Tua. Yep. And then now moving on from Dolphins Eagles, there's an AFC West battle for the ages: the LA Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now this one probably going to lean towards the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Chargers, again, this is going to be a big game to see if they can get back to 500 after losing to the Cowboys, right? Are they going to find some fluidity in their offense a little more, right? The rushing game has been a little poor. Herbert not looking like himself. And it doesn't get any easier. You're facing the Chiefs um, who, gosh, who who did the Chiefs play this last weekend? Uh, Denver. They won on Thursday Night Football. That's right. That's right. And, And that wasn't any special victory for the Chiefs either. It was kind of a meek performance all around. So kind of looking forward to that as well. We've got some good games to look ahead to. But anyways, folks, that will bring us to the end of our show here tonight. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. If you guys are listening live here on KTCU on 88.7, thank you so much for tuning in. But also make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Review, or tune into our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. That's at Review. Again, for Zion Trammell, Seth Dowdle, my name's Ian Depetian, and we will see you guys next week.